Alleluia. Christ is risen. He, he is, is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Alleluia. Amen. The year is 597 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar, you've heard his name before. Think of Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, one of the stories we cover during our Easter vigil service. King Nebuchadnezzar has invaded Judah, the southern kingdom. This, of course, has all taken place after the Assyrians, over a hundred years earlier, invaded the northern kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar has come to take all the spoils, to take all the gold and the silver, and not just all the material stuff that he could use there for his kingdom, but also the people. And so he took all those that were, were talented, that were skilled, tradesmen, laborers, philosophers, wise men, we might say, and he ripped them there out of their homes, out of their country, and took them to his. Ezekiel, from our Old Testament text for today, was one of those captives. Ezekiel was the son of a priest, a Levite, and no doubt Ezekiel had grown up watching his dad go to church, perform his duties, As a priest, Ezekiel was a man of faith, one who looked forward to the Messiah that was promised and looked forward to redemption, but Ezekiel, back when he was there in Jerusalem, saw very little faith around him. The problem and the reason the Lord allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and and, and take his people into exile, to take them captive, was They forgot what true justifying faith was all about. They desecrated the temple itself there at Jerusalem, worshiping false idols, introducing bad practices. It was a sad state of affairs. So Ezekiel is taken there by King Nebuchadnezzar along with his wife and his family. Four years later, in 593 B.C., Ezekiel receives the call from God to be a prophet. We're told there in the first part of Ezekiel that in the 30th year, which we assume means that Ezekiel was about 30 years of age, the same age, by the way, when Jesus began his ministry, Ezekiel then begins to prophesy, to speak the word of the Lord He spends just a little time speaking to the captives there that are with King Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of the Babylonian captivity, and he calls them to repentance. He points out their fatal flaws, their sin that they had been about doing back when they were in Jerusalem there in Judah, their idolatry, their materialism. The way that they said to themselves, no one can harm us, nothing can befall us, God will protect us, except they at heart really stopped worshiping the one true God. Their idols, their material things had become their gods. And so Ezekiel first and foremost calls them them to recognize the error of their ways, the life of a Christian. It's a life of repentance. And Ezekiel does his job as a prophet pastor, pointing that sin out. What are the things that you are looking to right now to save you, to rescue you, 
Where are you placing your hopes and future joy and comfort? If it's not in the one true God, then it is an idol. And for that, we probably, we do, all need to repent to recognize where and in whom we place our faith. Ezekiel begins his prophetic ministry, and about seven years after that, in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar goes back there to Judah and literally sacks Jerusalem. He takes the city captive. And not only does he take the city captive, he destroys the temple. He destroys, you might say, or tries to, faith itself. We might be able to relate a little to that in the midst of this current pandemic, not allowed to come here to church to gather together. And not only that, the way our lives have been uprooted and the way that we might feel that things have been taken away from us, that that we are in exile, that we are in complete isolation. So Ezekiel prophesies. Ironically, the very day that that Jerusalem is sacked that second time by King Nebuchadnezzar and the temple destroyed is also the day that Ezekiel's own wife dies. To be fair, even though they were living there in Babylon, they had a fairly comfortable life, a house. Ezekiel speaks of the area where they live, Tel Abib, which later was taken as a name to what we now know as the modern-day city of Tel Aviv, Israel. Ezekiel has it pretty good, except when he doesn't, like you and me. But yet, even in the midst of the death of his wife, even in the midst of of being pulled away in exile, he continues to prophesy, he continues to preach that there is yet hope. And hope begins with repentance. It begins with looking in upon one's own sin and where idolatry is taking root within us. Ezekiel does some other odd things. Some earlier academics thought that he was a little schizophrenic, perhaps multiple personalities. He did some weird things. We don't need to get into that. Who knows? The Lord uses people as he has need for them. In one case, Ezekiel, in prophesying and writing his letter back to Jerusalem for the people that are there, lays on his side for the period of one year, 365 years, he, uh, the days out of the year, he lays on his side facing a picture of Jerusalem. This is symbolic because God's word still comes for sinners. And even today in the midst of this pandemic, God's word is coming to you. Perhaps for the few of you gathered here or through the lens of this camera that's pointed at me right now, God's Word is still living and active, a sharp two-edged sword that pierces joint and bone and marrow. And His Word still works. So Ezekiel prophesies for the people left in Jerusalem. Number one, repent. Look at where your faith truly is. Two, Know that your God will yet do something to provide for you. There's a number of other crazy things about Ezekiel, as with many of the prophets, and we don't have time to get into that here. Open up your Bible sometime this week and and read the book of Ezekiel. I think it's quite 
relevant for a little of what we are experiencing here today. Many of the exiles, as well as those in Jerusalem, are begging and praying for what they would refer to or what we would refer to as a return to normal. They want to get back to the way things were. Sound familiar? But I think it's a fair question to ask. Is returning to normal really the best thing? I'm not talking about the scientific facts and what's going on with pandemics and diseases. I'm talking about where was faith prior to changes in your life. Sometimes we have this repristination concept within us of of how good things used to be. And oh, if we could just get back to the way they were when we fail to realize that even then, perhaps, and maybe assuredly so, there were things that needed to change. I've received a lot of emails and phone calls from many of you this week. Thank you for the support and the prayers for myself, for my family, for Pastor Grady and his family, for all of our essential workers here at Advent. We're doing, we're doing fine. But in the midst of that, there comes one who yet will provide. And there comes the continued need for us to look at this concept of, of just getting back to the way things were and perhaps look at things perhaps that we could change. In some of your emails and phone calls and texts, many of you said, dear pastor, I did not realize how important coming to church really was or how important it was to to pray and and to read my Bible, to have a, a spiritual foundation in the midst of all the physical changes of my life. And dear pastor, I'm going to do my best not to mess that up again. I pray you don't. But you probably will in some way. You are yet a sinner. But times like this bring an opportunity for repentance, a changing of ways. But at the same time, we also must be very careful of not just going back to the way things were. And this is where Ezekiel's prophetic message really hits home for us today. Because he prophesies a return to God. Not a return to the way things were, not a rebuilding of the temple the way it was, not back to idolatry, but simply, at its core, justifying faith, a return to God. Over and over again throughout the book of Ezekiel is, is, is this theme. His, his message that he preaches is simply that people may know that I am God. Ezekiel directs God's people to the one true God, and not just God's people, but think of of all those that were within earshot of, of the letters or of Ezekiel's antics, all of those heathens and unbelievers that came to faith through that very living and active word, they shall know, God says, that I am God, I am the Lord. So place not your faith and what the governor will decide to do or not do, and what the president will do or not do, and what type of normalcy you may return to or not return to. Place your faith in the one who knows all things, who created you. And this is where the message gets so sweet. The one who actually is your good shepherd. Good shepherd. Jesus comes on the scene And says, I am the good shepherd. 
This is a beautiful and direct fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy, which is why historically these texts are paired together. Hear these words from Ezekiel that he prophesies. God says, I will rescue them. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them, those that are scattered. I will feed them on the mountains. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. I will give them rest. I will provide for all they need. And then, some 600 years later, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus, not just for the exiles, but also for the people in Jerusalem. And keep in mind, Ezekiel and his family and and all the exiles, they spent almost 70 years. From 586, when the temple was destroyed, the new temple wasn't rebuilt and dedicated until 516. 70 years in exile. And yet you and I complain incessantly about the last month and a half or two months and the changes to our lives. How weak are we to be so worried, to be so stressed out about getting back to normal and this and that and the other. My goodness, if we can't endure a few months, six months, or even a year of changes to our lives, what kind of faith do we really have? Because there's a good shepherd. There's one who yet provided for Ezekiel and the people in Jerusalem, and his name is Jesus. And he comes and says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. For you, this good shepherd has come. He's come to be a good shepherd of dirty and smelly sheep of you and me. One of the bright spots in the midst of the sheltered in place has been that golf courses are still open, of course, with protocols. And so one of the things I've greatly enjoyed is the opportunity to get out late in the afternoon or in the evening and and, then play nine holes or more with my boys. This other day, the other day, my my youngest son uh, was was looking for golf balls in in one of the little streams, uh, lakes there on our golf course. And as he, he bent down to pick up a golf ball that was there beckoning to him from the water, his, his foot slipped down into the mud. <laughs> and his, his whole shoe and his sock full of mud. And it was yucky. And he wiped it off the, the best we could, but we played a couple more holes, and, and he turned to me and said, he did, Dad, look at how dirty my foot is. And the mud at that point had, had caked and, and dried, and it was stuck to what hair he had on the bottom of his leg, and he couldn't get it off. That's the way sin sticks to you and me. It just sticks and it festers and it seems like we scrub and scrub and and we can never get it completely clean. Which reminds me of a time as a young boy. We had sheep on our hobby farm and and my dad is going to have to refresh my memory with some of the details. But I remember how, how dirty the sheep were. They would get down into the mud on the edge of the streams and, and, and the ponds and, and, and the mud would, would cake and it would just stick in their wool. And not only that, it would just be so smelly. And I remember one time that we, we had to shear the sheep. I was pretty little. And that was probably the nastiest thing I've ever done. It was just, ugh. Because there were so many things caught up there in, in their wool. 
And that's what you and I bring to the table. That's what you and I bring to the Lord. We bring our caked on mud. We bring our idolatry. We bring the things that we just can't seem to get rid of. And there comes one who takes you for who you are, who loves you, who comes to gently guide you, and more than that, to sacrifice his very life back there in Jerusalem to point and to give now the presence of God, not in the midst of of, of a temple or even a physical church like this, but in the midst of faith, saving, justifying faith, Jesus comes for you to be your good shepherd so that you may yet have hope and joy and comfort in the midst of whatever exile we find ourselves in. He comes to give life and give it abundantly. Ezekiel goes on to talk about this good shepherd. He talks about the dry bones. You, you remember that story? We had that earlier this year. The dry bones that are, that are raised up. That which was dead that now has life. The green pastures. The way that He feeds you with His Word. And as you are able, even still, His holy sacraments. Baptism that you live in daily. Simple bread and wine, His body and blood to feed you. To give you good green pastures. You and me, dirty, stinking, mud-caked sheep. Comes to rescue you. To remove you from your exile. Or even that while you're in the midst of that exile, that you would yet have hope, that you would yet have a future. Thanks be to God that this good shepherd just didn't come for the Jews that were in exile. He came for the other sheep. He came for you and me, those who can't trace our lineage back along those family lines. Both Jew and Gentile alike, we have been rescued by the good shepherd who comes, and we yet, folks, have hope. So put your boots on, wade through the mud, Scrub as best you can, but know that there comes a good shepherd for you. He's promised you a future that even in the midst of death, you will yet live eternal life for you. He's promised you his love. Your good shepherd yet lives, not dead and buried in a tomb. He lives and reigns for you this very day. God grant us such simple trust. And let us thank Him for that simple justifying faith He has bestowed upon us. May we in turn repent of our worries, our fears, our misplaced trust. And may we look to the Good Shepherd who yet comes for us. God grant us such faith in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.